I did not expect to come into this episode singing that song so excitedly. Man, I, I said this earlier, but today was the first day in a long, long time that I woke up happy. It's been rough as a Chelsea fan. But, hey, just one match can change everything. Uh, welcome back to the Blues on Parades podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else guys champions league the magic zach i'll start off with you because you are the one who predicted a two nil win ah you remember i had no faith in that prediction i the the most surprising part about your prediction or the part that was hardest for me to believe is chelsea scoring more than one goal it (laughs) almost didn't happen thanks to the encroachment rule but we got it done zach we got so lucky. I was thinking about it today. Um, and just thinking about both goals and how lucky they were, Sterling just fluffs the fuck out of his first shot. We finally get the rub of the green. And then the second one, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a penalty retaken in a Champions League knockout match um, in quite a while. So I got to say, it's fucking unbelievable what one week can do for a football club two wins something that seems so simple um has such a profound effect on everybody and everything including grand potter and the boys who look like they are all different human beings so and including us the fans i know i'm happy finally Mm -hmm. it's it's my first time not being depressed as a chelsea fan this whole season it feels like andreas i'm sure that you're just as excited as we are Oh, man, definitely. But you guys are missing the real magic here. The real magic mm. is that the three of us are on a podcast together for the first time in what feels like a month. Wow. That's see, yeah. like this is this is the magic of winning. Winning fixes all problems. <laughs> it brings us together. It's we like had, the Chelsea squad. Problems. We're all becoming available again. <laughs> we had injuries. We had issues. But winning puts it. Depression. Fixes everything. Depression. Don't forget about that. <laughs> Oh, but man, what a what a match, dude! Just everything about it, like from from the beginning where my TV screen looked like pollen got all over it, to just how loud the fans were for most of that match. I mean, that's got to be the best match we've played in a long time, a long time. And I and I would even argue that it felt bigger than some of the matches that led to our last Champions League trophy. It just felt like everyone was up for it from you know the manager to the players to the fans just everyone it was awesome and we saw for the first time like graham potter on the sideline with a little bit of fucking intensity something that we've been asking for 
Like, thank God. This is, like, just exactly what we needed. Um, let's, let's just talk overall about the game. Um, t- just generally team performance. We had 40% possession, but two expected goals to their .87. We had 13 shots, nine inside the box, four on target. Four big chances, 21 clearances. Um, I thought the clearances, it was a big issue in the first, like, 20 minutes. Uh, it seemed like Ben Chilwell is the only person who knows how to clear the, the ball. Because I just saw, like, over and over again, clearances being made right into the middle of the pitch. Right to be yeah. picked up by the other team. It was just, like, blowing my mind. Mm-hmm. This is, like rudimentary stuff you learn when you're a fucking kid playing soccer but hey ben chilwell maybe man of the match i don't know but shout overall it was about time we got lucky like you said zach we've we've had shit luck for so long in every possible way it it, it was like it just was karma bouncing back and helping us and even then we were still so unlucky we (laughs) You talk about Koulibaly mm-hmm. running straight at the goal and somehow hitting the ball backwards with no goalie <laughs> in front of him. I mean, we Physically. talk about the four four big chances. I'm pretty sure three of those were missed, and one of them is like poor Koulibaly, man. The guy honestly played his heart out today and deserved a goal. Whether it was the headers in from corners, that chance that I still don't know how it's physically possible to, for the ball oh to go backwards where it did. Yeah, but but man, you talk about this like we're so not used to having the lesser amount of possession, but even then it felt like we dominated. I know the first few minutes were iffy, but I just feel like outside of Jude Bellingham covering almost as much of the pitch as Conte used to do, I felt like this team was just not going to to lose today. From the very first minute, like you talked about Graham Potter in the sideline, I think in the first five minutes, I think it was Felix or somebody else missed and Potter's like getting the fans all riled up and and even our players after they would do something, were doing the same thing. It just felt like the vibes were all there for for what this game turned out to be. And it was a, a dominant Chelsea win. Yeah, I, this I, the refreshing thing was and this was my big complaint, especially after the Spurs match was just. The fact that we completely disregarded the importance of it, or the the players did, and that's what it seemed like. They they let us down just as much as the manager did that day. And you know, regardless of your opinion on Graham Potter going into this, everybody knows that you know lately we haven't been his biggest fans. You have to be happy for for him, and you have to be happy for the just the overall outcome of we're 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 seeing the other side of this dry spell, you know, and and he's finally getting. Um, He's finally fielding a system that looks defensively solid. We're kind of going back to basics in a sense where the patterns of play aren't necessarily super intricate. um, And we're not necessarily trying to force four or five attackers on the pitch at the same time. Instead, we're sticking with a a familiar front three. Um, Guys that we know play well together, like Havertz and Felix, we know that their connection is, uh, is pretty decent. And Raheem Sterling's been in good form, even though the first 15 or 20 minutes he was just completely lacking in confidence. It's just nice to see that, you know, we have some sort of direction that we can go in now. You know, this is a solid system. The back three seems to be working. We're defending well. I think we're getting the most out of some of the guys that we weren't getting a lot out of, like Kukurea, for example, Koulibaly, um, an amazing redemption arc for him. 
even guys like Kepa Ariza Balaga, you know, who's who hasn't been that great as of late, steps up, makes two world-class saves, and you know, ultimately helps us get through. So I'm just so happy, and I- I'm glad that you know we're able to turn this around. It- it's it's nice and also weird not to come on the show and and s- criticize the players for anything because they, they <laughs> as Potter would say. They left it out all out on the pitch. The boys gave everything. <laughs> they gave everything. They gave everything. <laughs> no, I I wanted to ask you guys because again, I wasn't on the pod last time and and somebody had one of our listeners had asked was that was the Leeds performance where you start seeing light at the end of the tunnel. So I want to ask, give emoji. you two you two a chance to re-answer that question. It, are we I'd... starting to see like at least a blink of light at the end of the tunnel here? Like, is the team gonna rally around this? This is this is my this was my answer, and I'm not gonna change it. I said, the light at the end of the tunnel in the Premier League. What is that? Sixth place, fifth place, Possibly. like maybe we're not, Europa like, League. Like, like I think right now, it's pretty much impossible for us to make top four. I mean, I, I mathematically it's not, but just for everything that have to go right, and I know it's happened for Chelsea before in years past where things just fell into our lap and we were lucky with our results, other results, and we sneaked in the top four. But the only light at the end of the tunnel is winning a Champions League this year because, like, the fucking up so bad this year, if it ends up in us not having Champions League next year, then it's, it's, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't go as far as say it's a disaster, but... It's not good. Um, it's not a success. So yeah, obviously, if, I, and I don't mean in overall. I mean after the two and sixteen, the no oh. scoring. Like, is it going to turn around? Like, are we going to be not a mid-table team that has to hope we can win games? Like, are we going to start expecting to win games? Are we going to push for close to sixty percent win percentage? Like, do you guys think that I'm not our yet. season is going to be more greens than reds? I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm, there yet. I'm I'm leaning towards that direction, and I'll tell you why. I think winning's contagious, and so yeah. is positivity around around the dressing room and between the players. And for all the criticism, and I'll hold my hand up for all the criticism I pointed at Potter. I've been on record saying that I don't think that I think some of the players aren't necessarily playing for him anymore. This match proved absolutely otherwise. I thought every single player out there was was completely committed. And yes, you could make the argument that okay, well, they have something to play for here. Um, but I, I really don't give a shit. I think that there's something in the water um, and, and something about Graham Potter that these players do like. You know, if if we've seen... The, the thing is, we've seen the same exact group of guys rebel against two managers now um, when things went sour. And neither of those managers got as bad as Potter did in terms of results and, and just form and overall demeanor. And somehow these players still stuck with him. You know, I've been reading reports that his meetings with the players and meetings with the staff and individual relationships are, are rock solid. And people actually respect the fact that he hears people out and learns about their personal lives. And all signs are pointing to that he's a great person. And I think that PhD. that... PhD in emotional I'm, I'm not mentioning that PhD because <laughs> if he actually did one, we wouldn't have got two for sixteen. That's some <laughs> online online BS. He got that. But you minutes. bought into hard. <laughs> I bought into it. 
I, I'm a sucker, <laughs> man. But you know, well, we I had we had an emotional. Too. We went from an emotional bully to a guy with a emotional PhD, whatever emotional like, PhD. Yeah, Tuchel, who was beating these dudes' confidence into the ground by blaming everything on the players, to Potter doing zero blame. But, I just wanted to mention one more thing, though. Um, outside of the effect that Potter's had on the team and and the players, um, I think that the fact that we're winning and the fact that we still have something to quote-unquote play for in terms of the Champions League this year, you know, seeing that the next games are in April, this gives, one, Potter a platform to build, which I touched on earlier, but more importantly, the players are going to be competing for these spots now. Yeah. Now for the players, there's absolutely no excuse not to give it 110% because guess what? If you're, I'm just going to throw names out there, not, not not picking on anyone in particular, but if you're like a Mateo Kovacic or a Koulibaly or a Fofana, you want to make sure that you continue to nail your spot on through April. That way, when the time comes, your name's getting selected to play in the next round. So, you know, all the positions that I'm looking at here, I think the center back positions are really interesting, especially after the day Kukurea had. I think the midfield is going to be interesting with Conte coming back. I mean, Conte and Enzo Fernandez just kind of makes me salivate. I think that everybody's forgetting that we we've said that Conte is finished, but finished in terms of his health. I think if the guy is healthy, he's still arguably a top five. Argue. He's the best ball winner in Europe. Let's just put it plain and simple. And you know, just two years ago, it wasn't that long ago where he, I I, I almost want to say single handedly took us to that yeah. Champions League you know knockout stages. I mean, he was a man of the match for like six matches in a row. Mm -hmm. So. Things are definitely on the up. Uh, I'm I'm not looking at this as a flash in the pan at all. And that and that's where I'm landing. You you talk about the fact that these players now have something to strive for at least for another month. And and that was my biggest fear with getting knocked out of the Champions League is that all these guys have contracts that we can't just terminate unlike Potter's. So therefore, why would they give a shit about what's left this season? Mm -hmm. um, but. The thing that we do have in our benefit, and again, I'm not saying that this is going to happen, but you look at the remaining matches, and and Sam, you're talking about how like how is it possible that we we climb this table? Well, we have direct competition against Liverpool, Brentford, Brighton, Fulham, and Newcastle all before the season ends. I'm not here like preaching that we're going to win all our games and suddenly climb the table, but it is up there in a way that we can scale the table and the fact that we haven't played against the teams that are above us. And we're still within reach from some of them if this three at the back formation is is really going to carry us through. I mean, between us and at least Fulham, who are in seventh, there's only five points. So, and you play Fulham. You beat Fulham, that's a three-point swing. Just th Just to throw that out there, we can climb to at least Europa League potentially maybe yeah but like, but I'm, but for me it's ahead. like end of the tunnel in terms of viewing right you 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 were on here with zach a few days ago talking about how hard it's been to to try to watch what chelsea's putting out there and and after today i'm hoping that these players continue to give us this level i, I think it's the bare minimum now we talk about what is our strongest 11 i think that in the last two games where graham potter's kind of figured that out Either Thiago Silva can get healthy, and it's like, well, do you pull Koulibaly yet? Because Koulibaly's now shown us in the Prem and the Champions League that he can lead the line from the middle. Then you have the issues in midfield. Zach mentioned Conte. The 
the Kova Enzo midfield works with a back three. Do you need Conte there? And and people are are dying to see Mudrik. I get it. He hasn't played in a few matches, but we're playing a 3-4-3. We don't need out-and-out wingers yet. Like, can we give Mudrik time to settle in and and do his bit as a sub? So to me, it's like, I think you guys mentioned that Potter had like four changes a match. I hope that we don't see changes that often anymore. It's a strong 11 with maybe just body of shield in for Kukureya because he's the Premier League guy. And Madueke off the bench instead of someone like Ziyech because he doesn't get UCL minutes. Little things like that, I think, are going to continue to progress this team. So light at the end of the tunnel is a very subjective thing, but I think rock bottoms already happened and we're, we're rising back up to some extent. I also want to point out that me and Zach live so close together that you could hear motorcycles driving by in both of our, like I could hear it through his, uh, his, uh, mic and outside my window. So, uh, gotta love that biker gang, baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, now that we're on the topic of Potter, we're, you know, we've been talking about him. We got a Twitter question from at 12 bands, Chelsea. He said, team had a strong defensive performance. Clean sheet was never in doubt. What impressed you the most about Potter's tactics today? And I'll, I'll add on top of, or in, include with tactics, also the starting 11. And I think Andreas kind of already answered this into, in saying that this is maybe our best 11. But just to run through it again, Keppa and goal, Fofana, Koulibaly, and Kukurea in the back three. Um... Reese James and Chilwell out wide, end zone Kovacic, and a front three of Kai Felix and Raheem Sterling. And, uh, see, like, the thing with Kai Havertz, and I'll talk more about him later, um, but this, the points that you're making about us going on a win streak or whatever at the end of the season, like, our finishing issues are still... Like it's a glaring issue. It's it's not gonna get better this season. Um and Kai Havertz is not a striker. And he's the only one who's playing striker right now. But if you look at the heat map from this last match, he played a lot on the wings, um like farther back in the midfield. Like he was playing like an attacking midfielder rather than a striker. And that is his best role. So it took it took Graham Potter a long time to try this out, but and it finally showed up, and it was Kai Havertz's best match in a long time. And like, I, I don't know if, if this is gonna last or what, but uh, Zach, I'll start off with you talking about Potter's tactics. Yeah, I, I was actually going to mention the fact that he swapped uh, Sterling and Havertz. I think Sterling's movement's a little bit more clever just in terms of utilizing his pace and his quickness to peel off of the back of the last defender. And, I mean, as frustrating as it was that he kept getting called off sides, the ideas were there. The runs were there. It's just a matter of getting the timing right. And I think the longer he continues to play with these guys, the more confidence he gets, the more and more we're going to see him start to succeed. I think... Asking Raheem Sterling to be that guy on the ball to create something in the mold of like uh, a Hazard, for example. Obviously, that's a, a high-level example, but it's just not who he is. I think Sterling's better suited, not necessarily playing as an 
out-and-out striker, but more so finishing uh, the play as opposed to creating it. Um, now, I know his finishing is not A+, but his movement is. And he's going to continue to get himself into dangerous posi positions. He does every single match. It's just a matter of him combining those intelligent movements with confidence and, you know, obviously getting familiar with the teammates and getting that chemistry down. Um, the other thing that I was really impressed with with was the way that he utilized Kukurea in this match. I thought he looked like the Kukurea of old, and I know we're going to get to it in a little bit, but the the support that he gave Ben Chilwell and the midfield in this match, when Chilwell would push forward and help join the attack, was absolutely immense. Um, so again, you know, we talked about Badiashil last week and Fofana kind of filling in that role with their um, ability to advance the ball by dribbling into space and picking out and picking out great passes. You know, Kukurea is similar to that in a way, but he doesn't dribble into space as much. He'd rather just fling a ball in at 80 miles an hour straight to feet. And I'm okay with it um, because he looked much more assured of himself. And, you know, again, he was covering for Chilwell. He wasn't having... When Chilwell would step up, we weren't getting paid for it um, in a defensive sense. You know, he would step in in his place and, and, and offer that support. And again, Fofana and Koulibaly would slide over as well. So there were a lot of mini combinations out there and, and different uh, tactical selections that Potter decided to employ that, that just worked seamlessly. And I'll be the first one to say that I would have rather seen Trevor Chalaba start on the left. But after the match, I mean... He was my choice for man of the match, Kukurea. So it, it, it's just impressive that he was able to make that call, especially for a guy that was coming in ice cold, probably the worst form out of all of our defensive players, um, if we're being honest with ourselves. And him to come in and just have a performance like this, he looked like every bit of the 55, 60 million we spent on him. It's that PhD, Zach. He talked about benching him and having to kind of take care of him a little bit because both form and things off the pitch weren't going well for him. But I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You Chilwell and Kukurea, two different guys. Chilwell is okay with getting into the box. He's okay with taking shots. He's okay with crossing. He, he can do all those things for you. He can even beat people on the dribble. Kukurea is just going to get the ball off his feet. And the one thing that Kukurea is really good at too, is just, just hard nose tackling. The guy is, smaller than a lot of the people he goes up against and and he's he somehow makes up for the size difference uh the the thing i noticed was just how willing the team was to press high and and to close down any sort of player with their back to goal whether it was a midfielder in their own third whether it was you know one of their front players at our our midline like if you look at our average positions all three of our center backs were close to the halfway circle. And there was times where you would see not just Kukurea, he just did it the most, where Koulibaly was making a run to press someone on the other side of the center circle, where Fofana was way into the other half to make sure that those midfielders couldn't turn because Dortmund just loves playing these long through balls to their fullbacks or to their wingers and, and get in behind and then go from there. So the fact that you know, Graham Potter deploys a 3-4-3, but it's not a a sit back and, and low block 3-4-3 like we were used to in, in more of the two cool days. We are all 11, all 10 field players because Kepa obviously stays in goal. But 10 players in their half of the field when we don't have the ball is is gutsy and the players have the energy 
to match the tactics. And I think that was just the big thing. We didn't need the ball, but we were making sure that they could do nothing with it. Mm-hmm. And well, you mentioned him benching uh, Kukurea, kind of you know taking him out of the, the lineup so he can get his mind right. Uh, he's starting to do that a lot more, taking players out who are out of form. Uh, you see him doing that with Mason Mount. Mason Mount didn't even make the bench in this last match. Well, he's he was out. Yeah, I know, I know. I did that on purpose. Uh, okay. that, was, that was for a special <laughs> someone on Twitter. You know who you are. That was for you. But uh, uh, <laughs> I knew. I know. I know that he was. That was a joke. Um, but yeah. It's it's nice to see him actually doing the things that we've wanted him to do for a while. Um but again, I'm I'm not sold on the guy to be honest yet. But uh he's starting to win me over a little. Like it it's it's going the opposite trajectory. If before my expectations of him were going down, 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 down. I'm, maybe it's it's plateaued, slightly rising. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the individual performances. Zach, you mentioned Kukurea. Um, if you want to talk a little bit more about what you saw from him, because he's a guy who we said previously, and I said specifically, I do not want to see Kukurea play as a left center back ever again for this team. And you mentioned last episode that we're, we'll probably see it. You were right. Um, and it, I don't know, I'm kind of biting my tongue now. Maybe this wasn't the worst thing. No, I, I don't think it was. Um, the thing is, you know, he's played there before um, while he was in a shitty run of form and he hasn't looked good. So it was pretty surprising to me that he just kind of came in here and just decided to ball out straight away. But I'm starting to see a little bit of his personality again, and you can start to tell that he's he's beginning to enjoy the game once more. I, I think the first couple weeks that he was with us, you know, we were all really impressed with the way he was able to kind of slot in and let Chili take his time when he came back. I remember we were impressed with his passing and the fact that he'd go flying into tackles and even though he was what five six or five seven, he'd still he he wants to smoke, for lack of a better term. Um and he showed that this time around. I mean going chest to chest with Jude Bellingham and every single time there was an altercation, who was the first person there? It was Kukurea. Yeah. So you want to I think that Marius Wolf or whatever it was like Marius Wolf, yeah. Yep. And he doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't care. You know, he's a gamer, and, and and I think you need players like that with that sort of warrior mentality if you want to be a successful side. I mean, every single team has it. But to just kind of touch on the tactical side of things as opposed to the mental, um, again, the, the cover for Chilwell in the midfield was phenomenal. I mean, Chile would press forward and essentially play as a left winger at times. Um, and Kukurea had absolutely no problem stepping into that midfield role and, um, and helping him out. And if you actually look at the... Uh, at the uh, player position maps, you know, Kukurea was strictly on the left side of that back three, but the heat maps itself show him that he covered pretty much the whole left side of the pitch, um, including that midfield, which, again, you know, we wonder why Pep Guardiola wanted a guy like this. He has inverted fullbacks in his system that tuck into midfield and act as, act as auxiliary midfielders, and Kukurea did just that this time around. 
and looked really comfortable with it. I think he gives us something a little bit different than a body of shield or a Trevor Chalaba can as a as a third center back. Um, you know, like I said before, Fofana dribbles and advances the ball with his feet um, and likes to run into those spaces and continue his runs into the box where Kukurea just picks out the simple pass and fizzes it um, straight to feet. So I like it. I, I, I was really impressed with the way he played. I'm happy for him. Um, I think it's so, so important that he gets into some kind of form because we're eventually going to have to give Chilwell a rest at some point. And especially looking into next season and, and, and the future, I highly doubt that Chelsea are going to be able to flip Kukurea this summer. And assuming he's here next year, I mean, we're going to need him to play on that left-hand side. So we have to make sure that, you know, he stays in the right frame of mind and he stays ready. But in terms of his mentality, I think he's back. And it's different to what we've seen the last couple months before he was benched for those three or four matches in a row where... He didn't necessarily look like himself. He was second-guessing things. He was low on confidence. His, his head would drop. And this time around, he was a very... I almost want to say a kind of a, a leader in the same way Dave is, where he leads by example with his actions on the pitch and just you know, being completely dedicated and, uh, and, and, and fighting for your team and your teammates. So I'm happy for him. I, it, he's my pick for man of the match. But again, I think this is one of those matches where you could probably pick three or four players as man of the match and have a legitimate argument. And yeah, he I, was he was the official man of the match. Uh, he was. So, yeah, yeah sorry. Uh, no, I just wanted to add, I mean, I know he played center back for us. It was four matches. I know one of them was bad enough to get him pulled at half. Mm-hmm. The other one where he was really bad was when everyone was bad against Brighton. So it's hard for me to like just be like, ah, oh, that loss is on Kukurea. But he did win player of the season for Brighton because of how he played a left center back. So it's like... We talk about how the taxes were more back to the basics, and I think that's what Graham Potter did and why he felt so confident in doing this move. Like Playing Kukurea at left center back is bringing it back to the basics for Kukurea. And yes, it is a huge, huge time to do it, but that should even give confidence to the player to feel trusted and, and do what Kukurea was able to do today. So I, I just wanted to add that. I think this is the best way to have gotten him back in his feet, not at left back where he's played over and over and over again, and we can never get anything out of him. So again, I think props, props to the manager for, for choosing the right time, even though most fans would probably have freaked out at seeing that choice, you know, an hour before the match. Keppa was unbelievable. Uh, he had obviously that huge save on the free kick. Um, another clean sheet for him. Uh, I think I saw that he has as many clean sheets as Courtois did for Chelsea in like a certain amount of less games. He reached 150 clean sheets. Is it 100? No, not 150. It's like there is a number, a a number (laughs) of clean sheets that he reached in like 12, like somewhere like Courtois reached this number. Maybe it's 50. Maybe I'm, I'm going crazy with the number. But it took Courtois something like 160 matches to do it, and it took Kepa like 148 or, or something along those lines. Way, he got he to a milestone that. sooner than Courtois did. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, uh, yeah do you want to go more into that Kepa? Yeah. I mean, I think it's time to to just call a spade a spade and and, and kind of highlight how important he's been recently and and just talk about how the sins of his past just kind of continue to drive the narrative with Keppa, like when he didn't dive for a goal for a cross against City and how that ended up costing us a result against City. 
and suddenly we think Kepa's shit again. But this season, overall, Kepa has been really good. And I think this match sort of like made my made like the the light bulb go off that Kepa's just had a really good season. I mean, in this match alone, I thought we used him really good in possession. 33 touches, 25 passes. Uh, the thing that impressed me was his actual long balls. There was times where we were playing possession and he was playing like pinpoint accurate balls to the likes of Reese James and Chilwell and even Felix. So he's skipping a couple lines to get the ball the ball going. I thought his his saves, obviously the free kick against Royce was huge. Uh, the reaction saves in the box are really good. He also came out for a corner where I kind of cringed the fact that he jumped up against, you know, Holler, Jude, and got his fist out there and ahead of them. And the thing that got me even more surprised is Kovacic comes off and Kepa gets the armband. Yeah. And I, and I think that deserves to be spoken about because who would have fucking thought the guy that we've been trying to ship out of this club, I'm talking about the three of us, for the better part of two years, has earned the respect of all his teammates to the point that captain steps up the pitch and he is the captain. Like all memes aside of, of I am not coming off for a sub, he <laughs> truly has. And if you look deeper into it, you know, in the Premier League, he is third in, in goals prevented, like which is kind of like when shots happen, how does XG kind of tally up against it? Allison is at 10. Uh, Bird Leno is at 8.8, and then Kepa's at 6.11, and the next keeper is all the way down to 3.48. So he's preventing goals instead of being the reason we're getting scored. Um, again, in in his like per shot XG, he's in the 98th percentile amongst the top five leagues. He's also in the uh, top 95th percentile for clean sheet percentage. He's almost at 50% of his starts being a clean sheet. The guy has really gained his confidence back i'm still not sure he's worth the price tag we paid but it's time to to understand that mendy being benched was the right choice period it's not about it's not about uh the tactical fit anymore keppa has played his way into being the out and out number one and i thought this match sort of encapsulated everything of this season um in 90 minutes for keppa and it, and it does suck for Mendy because essentially he lost his starting spot over an injury in that like in the time that he was gone Keppa took that spot from him but I'm happy about it you know Keppa is is playing unbelievable obviously he's got the the transfer fee tied to his name forever and I did look it up uh Courtois, 58 clean sheets for Chelsea in 152 appearances. And now Kepa, 58 clean sheets in 151 appearances. So it was only one less appearance. This is according to Transfer Market. I don't know if these numbers are off, but um, <laughs> yeah, he, he. Let me see. Is it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Zach. You want to add something yeah, about him? I want to chime in on the Kepa uh, captaincy thing. I, I saw that, you know, obviously some fans are still living in the past and can't give the guy a break. Um, but I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think the fact that he was given the armband was not only huge, but it's indicative of the mentality that he's shown since he's been at Chelsea. 
you know, the, the guy totally threw his toys out the pram um, under Sari and then had just a downward spiral under Frank. If you look at his, you know, storyline here at the club, I mean, he had every excuse to not succeed, to beg for a move, to get a loan somewhere, just not be anywhere near or around to Chelsea uh, ever again. And you could easily make the argument that he is probably one of the most mentally tough players that we have. And out of all of those Champions League guys, I would argue, or out of all the guys that played in the Champions League against Dortmund, I would argue that he is maybe in the top three, just in terms of mentality, just in terms of that putting your blinders on, going out there and putting a performance on that is going to be remembered and not remembering your bad performances or the slips or the times you fluffed the cross or didn't dive for a shot outside the box. He seemed to forget about everything. And I, I couldn't be happier for the guy. I, I can't think of another player in Europe that has a similar arc to Keppa just in terms of the up and down relationship that he's had with the club, the fans, all the supporters, because I think the overwhelming majority now are, are pretty much on his side and are backing him. It's only really the toxic ones that are still calling him out for, you know, petty little things. And, and like the, another like layer to that story is Mendy coming in and him playing so fucking mm -hmm. well, like when winning the, what was it? The FIFA keeper of the year winning we won champions keeper. yeah we won champions league with him so uh adding that also as a part of the story where it's like the in-between phase of the the club and the fans shitting on keppa to loving him is another separate keeper having a lot of success as well um it's an interesting story yeah um i want to talk about kai havertz um because this was his best performance in a long, long time. The, the spaces that he was in are the spaces that he needs to be in order to be effective in the attack. If you just think about it, he, he had that one uh, volley where he made really good contact and hit the post. That was an and unlucky somehow shot. stayed out. Yeah, like that Jesus. should have been a goal. And then not like very shortly thereafter, he collected the ball like right outside the box and hit it far post in the corner and it was ruled offsides like Raheem Sterling was offsides or something. Mm -hmm. Um two really high quality finishes um that we know he has in his arsenal, but we don't get to see it as much because of the role that he plays as striker. Um, it's it's a foregone conclusion at this point. I don't think there's any reason to debate it or talk about it even. He's not a striker. He's not shit if he doesn't play striker. But if you play striker, he plays like shit. And we get we get shit as uh, as podcasters for shitting i've said the word <laughs> shit like four times in the last <laughs> sentence on this guy when objectively he was having bad performances it's not an agenda we're using our two eyes we're watching these matches and we see he's not he's not performing well i need and proof that he has played well at all this season outside of the these two champions league legs agreed 
And mm-hmm. it's it's and I think again that's a foregone conclusion that's not debatable at this point. But we still catch flack. It's like, oh look what happened. Uh Kai Havertz with a good match. You guys were uh, shitting on him. You guys were uh hoping that he got hurt when we weren't actually. But uh we did get a question. This one is from uh at Mr. Mel Chelson Oz, our good friend. Um, he says, do you lot rate Pat Nevin, not as a player, because none of you were a twinkle in your dad's eye yet, <laughs> but as a pundit, fifth stand commentary, he had Kai as man of the match. What do you say? I, I say yes. Even if you take out the penalty goal, which maybe honestly hurts his case for man of the match because he missed the first one. Um, Everything else that he did was phenomenal. His he actually held up the ball. Yep. He dribbled very well. Like link up play. He had kind of did it all. Awesome. Yeah, I mean like yeah. His, his like, you know, turns on the ball as well, changing directions when he feels pressure and then you know, making a good ball. And if you look I at was, his heat map, he's also tracking back as well, which is something that we've only <laughs> seen him do in the Champions League. Might I add, this is very reminiscent, sorry to cut you off, Sam, but it's very reminiscent mm-hmm. of the Real Madrid second leg performance at the bridge, where yeah. he was just shithousing and, and just being a bastard the whole 90 minutes. I mean, that's the Kai Havertz we want to see every single week. And then that's it's like the real question with him is in the frustration that we have, then yes. probably the reason why we catch flack is because we're frustrated that he can't do this consistently. The talent is there, the skill is there, the guy has a feathery touch, he has he has decent physicality when he puts his head down and focuses on the task in front of him, he's pretty damn good. But it's just a matter of him getting it up for every single match, and that's something that he hasn't been able to do yet. He needs the Alice. <laughs> Yeah, finish, finishing off my point, um, like him him tracking back, he had like two or three fouls in a row in like a span of like twenty seconds. Um, so maybe tracking him tracking back isn't the best thing. Um, actually, it was pretty good. No, in but, all seriousness, uh, he was he was really good with his pressing, especially. Yeah, yeah and I I just want to say. I know we've been saying good things about Graham Potter this episode. We've been saying good things about Kai Havertz. But Graham Potter is a fucking idiot for picking Kai Havertz to take our penalties. I get it. I get it. Like, this guy, Graham Potter, I feel like his sole reason, like, to live on this earth right now is to somehow put some confidence into Kai Havertz. Like, keep on praising him. <laughs> keep on saying good things about him. It's like, no, he's doing great. You can't... And to try to boost his confidence, he's like, oh, yeah, Kai, you're going to take the penalties, of course. And it, I've, I've talked about this before. I don't agree with that because it's such a high-pressure situation that it's a difference between, like, okay... He sees one go into the back of the net. It gives him confidence. But the opposite effect is so devastating if he misses it. I think you have more to lose if he misses it than you have to gain if he makes the penalty. And of course, he missed the first penalty. 
But he made the it, second. It, he made the second, but you said that the pressure was going to be devastating. Yeah, well, that's where listen, I'm going to play devil's advocate because he, Kai Havertz he, made the penalty to make us club World Cup champions, and when Jorginho wasn't on the pitch, Kai Havertz has scored all the penalties. So I'm going to play devil's advocate. Nobody else had stepped up when Jorginho wasn't on the pitch in the last two years of Kai Havertz being here. It made sense. It made sense. Who else is going to take him? Reese James is off the pitch. He's off the pitch 90% of the time because he's never healthy. So we're going to choose the guy that's going to take one penalty the rest of the season based on how many games he's played this year? Yes. (laughs) That penalty, yeah. I'm taking Reese James over Kai Havertz. I mean, look, we weren't at the game, but but I I could see from the TV that there was an inquest between Reese James and Havertz, and Reese grabbed the ball af- in between the first and the second kick and put it back in Kai's hands, and this is like you're taking it, like you're going again, he and he kind of gave him a little it. pat on the back as like a little motivation. So like, Sam, I'm with you. I wouldn't have picked Kai Havertz to take that penalty. Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. The guy made it. I'm happy. I, I couldn't be happier. I probably would have gone with a Reese James in that situation, but the fact that Kai scored the second one shows Cajones. It's huge. I mean, it's 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 absolutely massive. Like he proved to everybody that he has balls after all. So, (laughs) um, I just I just think it's very trivial to like we don't know how like these guys are obviously taking pens at practice. Like it's not like all right, guys, raise your hand. Who wants to take pens today? Like. I, I don't think it's that way. Like Raheem Sterling, notorious for no. being shit at penalties. City yeah, couldn't find a penalty taker for a while. Jao Felix just got here. We don't even know if he's going to be here next season yet. Why put that on him if he might not be the guy next year? Like there's there's lists of things that I just said. Reese is hardly ever here. For all we know, he takes a pen and his ankle busts open again. Like I I think this is such a weird thing to get nitpicky about. Like It's not nitpicky because – it's a huge decision choosing who right. you're going to choose to be a, the best. And it took it took over a month to officially make a statement since Jorginho left. It has taken a month to say, "Hey guys, by the way, penalty taker officially Kai Havertz." It wasn't an overnight choice. Come on, Ben Chilwell, Enzo is probably can. I'm sure Enzo wants it. You know, Enzo yeah. wants all of it. He wants all the free. He scored kicks. his he penalty in the in the World Cup final. He did score yep. his penalty in the World mm-hmm. Cup. But but I do want I do want to say like the frustrating the most frustrating thing with Kai is that like why can't you do this every time you're on the pitch? You talk about like okay you're not a nine, but like Zom you talk about his hold up play. Okay, it's hold up play. Just because you got the ball five yards deeper into the pitch when you're a number nine, how come you can't do it then? It's just he, so crazy to me he's that holding you holding up him. against he's holding up against fullbacks rather than center backs. That's that's a difference. Fair. Fair, I get that, but he but he comes to these positions as a nine anyway. Like he vacates the complete top end of the pitch to come get the balls for us in midfield as a nine. So looking at the heat map, he was mostly on the right side of the of the center circle. That's what the kind of thing he does anyway as a nine. But as a nine, he's he's kind of like a baby giraffe. And then we talk about his dribbling. Homeboy completed all his dribbles today. When was the last time we saw that happen? And and he made through balls to Raheem Sterling. When have we ever seen him let go of the ball on a counterattack? He usually loses it before he even decides to pass the ball. And, and that finish, my God, that was nice. And, and it reminded me of the goal he did score against uh, Salzburg earlier this same Champions League. 
playing as a guy that's playing behind the striker. Same situation. Yeah. He was playing behind Obama Yang in that game, and he got the goal. So it's just kind of crazy that psychologically for Kai Havertz, you tell him he's not a striker, and suddenly <laughs> it's the Kai Havertz that we thought we were always going to get. You it, think it's that's just it? so frustrating. <laughs> Who knows, man, because it was a fluid front three. Like At the end of the day, Havertz was on the left. He was on the right. Sometimes he was in the middle. But you're right. Raheem Sterling was always further ahead of him. Maybe it's something like that. I, I, I don't know what it is. I Obviously, you wake up for the Champions League. like You want to just kill it. And he did play against a Bundesliga team. His two best performances this year were against high-line German teams, which is what he was so good for at Leverkusen and why we signed him. So maybe that's got something to do with it. But I just want to see that in the Premier League. I want to see him bust his butt, be physical, let go of the ball without having to turn and then do nothing with it. Actually show a burst of speed for once. I never see that in the Prem. I I was ready to come on to the Leeds match and talk about how Kai Havertz may have the slowest first three steps out of anyone in the Premier League when it comes to running because I never see him jump out in, into a sprint. And then he does that today. It's just... I, I think he was amazing. And to, to finish answering your Russell's question, being the guy that clinched the, the, you know, progressing to the quarterfinals. Yeah. I'd say he won man of the match. Statistically, I already talked about it. Three out of three dribbles. He had, he could have had an assist if, if Raheem Sterling's foot wasn't offside. He could have had a brace if Raheem Sterling wasn't he had offside. The so in the lead up to Raheem Sterling's goal, he had the back heel to, was it to Kovacic? Yeah. He so again, he was very much involved. He was winning mm-hmm. headers. When was the last time we see this guy win headers in midfield? He won two out of three. So yeah. again, it's just like, man, I'm so happy that he did well. But at the same time, it's like, I want this more. Keep showing us this. And hopefully, like you said, Tom, because maybe this is the light bulb moment for Potter. Hey, maybe Kai just needs to play behind Raheem Sterling. We, we let Raheem finish the play, like Zach said, because he's not really a playmaker and let Kai do a little bit more of the puppeteering with the passes to somebody and then let somebody carry all the shooting load, which Raheem Sterling probably would prefer anyway. Yeah, he wants to do that, Havertz. He's he's clever. And, and, and I actually found part of that Pat Nevin quote. It's not the full quote, but I'll just read it out really quick. Um, he said, Dortmund central defenders didn't know what to do with Kai Havertz. When he had to be physical, he was more physical. His technique on the ball today was exceptional. I know he's got that. He's right up there with the best in the business for technique on the ball. So obviously high praise, especially coming from a Chelsea legend and Pat Nevin, but he, you know, he, he's spot on. I mean, his physicality was impressive. His technique on the ball was impressive. Um, but yeah, I mean, to answer Russell's question as well, I, I would. he's not my personal man of the match, but I'm not mad if you select him. I, I think he's deserved it. He, I, I don't know... Um much more about pat nevin's punditry because here in the states we we don't get to hear his commentary when we watch we don't go through the fifth stand app to watch the matches but i think it's a bit reactionary to to suddenly say that kai Havertz is already world-class technically i think this is a little bit of a stretch but in terms of him like being physical and displaying the technique that he needed i mean that part he was right about 
Um, I, yeah, I, I oh, don't agree with best in the world. That, that that's what I'm saying. But... He, he asked us how we rate him as a pundit. I think he's being a bit reactionary as a former Chelsea player and as a club legend because I think Kai needs to do this consistently if we're yeah. going to be talking about his physicality because usually it's the opposite. It's the opposite, yeah. So so now let's see the physicality in the Premier League, which is the, the world standard for physicality. Not just against Spurs twice a year. Let's see it throughout. Yeah, hey. This uh, actually goes really well with uh, our next question. This one's from at Black Emoji. He said, how do we transmit this Champions League form into the Premier League? So, you know, kind of goes along with how does Kai Havertz transmit <laughs> what he's doing in the Champions League to the Premier League? Um, you know, and I think I'll just add Ron's question because I think maybe your answer to one is the answer to both. Uh, this one's from Ron, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Cool, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Deluxe, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Supreme. He said, are we running into another situation that we're killing it in a tournament because it's one game at a time versus struggling in a long season battle? Um, Andreas, I'll start off with you. Um, both of those questions, I guess, wrapped into one. Hear me out. We get a hypnotist that tells these guys that all the matches are Champions League matches. <laughs> Just tell them that it's Tuesday, Wednesday night, every single weekend. I'll I'll sing the anthem before every match just to trick them. Todd, Todd, I know you're listening to the pod. Hit up Psalm. (laughs) I'll give you his number. DM us. I'll give you Psalm's address. Anything you need. Let's make it happen. No, in all reality, like we are always going to thrive against teams in in terms of what Chelsea can do. You know, create chances and then miss them. We're always going to thrive against teams that are willing to play and try to score on us because it gives us. The, the time and space to react and, and find the space. We, we just are so bad against the low block. It is ridiculous how bad we are against teams that sit deep and is now finding a solution to that. I think it is typical of us to do this, where we wake up for the tournament, everybody's up for it, and then when we go back to the Premier League, we go up against a team that's ready to just sit back, earn their draw, and if they get lucky, they get the one chance that gives them the win. And I think that's the hard part. And 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 then the next level now for Graham Potter is now beating the team that doesn't want to sit back. Who or sorry, that do does want to sit back because it is a whole new challenge. Do you, with a black three, how do you still prevent that? Prevent from looking toothless in the attack when they all they want to do is let you have the ball. I think it's really helpful that we have both of our starting wing backs healthy and that they're so willing to bomb forward. If we can get Kai Havertz clicking a little bit more with the other two attackers in Sterling and Felix, that could be a potential um, point to, to help us out there. But to me, it's just perfecting the 11 and perfecting those relationships is what's going to get us to look good in the Premier League now. I think the players are healthy. I think that you know the team has really focused on getting the whole injury crisis under control. So making sure that, you know, we're not overplaying these guys or or making sure that the positions that we're putting players in are the successful ones. We talked about, you know, Chilwell at left wing back. He can't play every minute. Maybe, you know, we see Lewis Hall at wing back again since Kukure is not really a solution there. Um, and and so for me, it's it's getting the attack to to start clicking. We got two wins in a row. We talk about how bad we are at shooting, but maybe now a little bit of confidence can help on that end. 
um, and, and go from there because it's it's about consistency now. Keeping the system, keeping the majority of the 11 on the pitch and, and just going from there. Yeah, I think uh, consistency is the name of the game. I mean, if you found a formula that works, you continue to hammer it into the player's psyche and then you slowly make little tweaks here and there to kind of, um, you know, fine tune it. Um, don't go into every single match chopping and changing the formula, going to 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3, 4-2-2, or whatever. Stick to this 3-4-3. Um, chop and change players based on a like-for-like -like basis. Don't necessarily go and, um, you know, decide, hey, I'm going to run with four attackers today instead of three. It it's going to throw off the chemistry, and I think that was part of the problem early on was we had all these new signings and all these new attacking players and Potter was just trying to get them onto the pitch and be cohesive, and it, it takes time. Like, none of those guys are familiar with any... W w w nobody's familiar with each other in terms of Felix, Mudrik, Madueke, being familiar with guys like Pulisic yeah. and Ziyech and Havertz and so on and so forth. So having that consistency, not chopping and changing things, and um, you know, going like for like it would be the name of the game. Just keep playing it safe, and the results will continue. And here's the crazy thing. If we continue to win more matches and the team continues to play better, you're going to start to see adaptations of this system just kind of happen naturally. You're going to see guys' confidence blossom to the point where Potter's going to get more trust and he's not going to be subbing on Connor Gallagher and Zakaria, you know, and going fully defensive every single match. You might see him put on another attacking player and go for a kill. So, you know, that's obviously best case scenario, but I do honestly feel like we're potentially heading there. Can I add one thing that you said? Uh, you just mentioned Connor Gallagher. Mm -hmm. He's been the first player off the bench in the last two matches, and mm -hmm. it's unbelievable. The role he's playing right now is not the role that we expected him to be playing when he came back on loan. Um, he has been providing a lot of energy in the midfield, pressing like a madman. Um, and, it, like, it, it's. Going into the season, I wouldn't really imagine a situation where it's like, okay, we need to contain and save a lead. Let's bring Connor Gallagher on. Like he wasn't, he didn't necessarily fit that mold in my mind. But I don't know. Maybe that is the type of player he is. Um, in addition to having, you know, the ability to score the odd goal every once in a while. And today, I mean, he was part of a play where. Gio Reyna, or yesterday, excuse me, Gio Reyna dove over his leg, but Connor was about to probably score off a counter because he made a blasting mm -hmm. run, made the tackle. We won it back in midfield and then started sprinting, was the open man, and then the ref did a super delayed foul. I do think that we probably don't see Connor Gallagher in these matches, if not for Mount being injured and getting suspended. I think Mount probably is the, the first name because Mount can give you a little bit of both. He'll give you the defensive work, but then he still has, on his best day, an attacking threat. So I think Connor, in a good way, is benefiting from the fact that Mount is out for a couple matches. And, and you're right. I don't think any of us expected him to be some sort of defend-from-the-front merchant, monster, whatever you want to call it. But I also think that in the Leeds match, he almost scored two. So like it feels defensive, and it feels... Mm -hmm like it could be a negative sub, but maybe all he needs is a little bit of confidence and understand that this is his role. I'm going to get 20, 30 minutes working my ass off. We have the lead already. So if I take a risky shot, 
it's okay. If I do find a run to make and get into the box and, and pull the trigger, that's going to be all right. And we've seen him do, like you said, I'll take from a guy playing 20 minutes, the odd goal here and there. Mm-hmm. It's less, it's a less risky approach because before this quote unquote negative, however you want to call it, we would throw in Madueke, Mudrik, Ziyech, Aubameyang. And all we were doing when we did that was conceding. And now we're yeah. keeping the clean sheet. And on top of that, Connor has been playing a hand in the potential attack that could have ended up in a goal. So, I mean, we're seeing why it's working. And again, in the 3-4-3, he's still getting to play more of that 10 rule because he's defending from the front or mm-hmm. however you want to call it. He was definitely playing behind Sterling and Havertz at some point. But yeah, no, I, I like the role that he has here. I think it allows him to sort of play within himself but then also not have the stress of like Andres was touching on, uh, touching on not worrying about making a mistake or, or, you know, hitting a shot off target or misplacing a, a, an attack minded pass or a through bar or anything like that. He's coming on the last 20 or 30 minutes and his, and his job is very simple to break up play. And then anything he does in the attacking side of things is pretty much icing on the cake. Now there's a lot of talk about him and potentially, you know, not having a long-term future at Chelsea. And I know me and some have that bet going, but you know, if this is the role that he's really going to play for us, you know, I, I, I don't mind, you know, as the team starts to come into form, maybe seeing him get more minutes um, and more trust in, you know, um, in, in big games like this. Like he's 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 shined so far. So, you know, when called upon in this specific role, let me caveat it with that. So I wouldn't mind seeing it again in the future. Honestly, I, I think I think if he can continue to kind of harness this role and really gain the trust of Potter, I think it'll be hard for if Potter does stay beyond this year yep. for Potter to say to Bully, Hey, you get rid of this guy. I, I think but Potter really likes what he brings to the table to, to keep it in the short term though. I think that that's what Potter's trying to get to now. Right. Or what we yeah. think he should do. I mean, we're, we're committed to the three at the back. So now you need to know who are your players in each of these roles. You know, it's Reese on the right and RLC is his backup. Chilwell on the left. We haven't seen him mix it up yet, but I hope that means Lewis Hall is back because he was really good at wing back in comparison mm-hmm. to, to Kukureya. Your back three, every, every spot is filled by two people. Fofana and Chalaba on the right. Uh, Tiago and Koulibaly in the middle. Badiashil and Kukureya on the left. Your double pivot is now getting healthy. It's been Enzo and Kova because that's all we have, but Conte's coming back. Zakaria is getting more trust. And then your front three, this is where it gets a little tricky. Because I truly think that for people, especially us who are were raving about Madueke, Madueke and Mudrik are the ones that are going to be shunned for a little bit. To, 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 there's no other way to put it. Because Pulisic is back. Mount, Mount, we know, can play in this front three. He, this is where he shined most under Tuchel. Gallagher has been used in this front three. And then on top of that, you have the, the main starters who are Kai, Felix, and Sterling. So... My, I hope, like I said, this is how we talk about you have a 33-man squad. How do you narrow it down? I think this is how you do it. Everyone needs to know at this point, hey, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. This is now the mantra. It's three at the back and go from there. Work your ass off. Show me that you understand the tactics, and then maybe you can slide in if you haven't been. And I think that's what we just need to do from now until May. And then if it works out, then maybe Potter buys himself another year. And if it doesn't, well... If you got pissed that that was the choice the manager made, guess what? A new guy can come in and you can prove him that you're worth something. But I, I think that's how, to answer Ron and Black Emoji again, how you translate it to the Premier League. 
All right, moving on to the next question. This one is from at Sophie Bikes. Um, he writes in saying, Woohoo, that was a really good game. Proud of the guys, to be honest. But do we have a chance at making it past the quarterfinals, especially if we keep the same team lineup slash formation and just overall energy? And I think we can maybe wrap uh, at CFC Ronnie's question into that one. He said, Come on, Chelsea! Some result that. Obvious question, but could it be our year again? Um, you'd, be, you'd be crazy to say no. The last two times we won it were terrible league years as well. <laughs> so. Yeah, that no one expected us to win. Um, yeah. But let's, let's run through the remaining teams. So Frankfurt, Napoli. Napoli's up 2-0 in the first leg. They should um, win, right? Yeah, they, I think Napoli will advance. Um, Leipzig, Man City... They drew 1-1 in the first leg. We'll see who advance uh, next in the next stage. Uh, or sorry, in the next leg, Milan uh, and us advancing. Inter, Porto, uh, 1-0. Benfica advancing. Bayern advancing. And then looking like Real Madrid will probably advance over Liverpool. Um, I think the last team you want to draw right now is Bayern. I mean, granted, we fared pretty well against a German side, but you know the, the, what Bayern did with PSG, I think right now they look like the scariest team. I know Madrid is in a little bit of a funk. Yeah. Um, Man City, who knows what... I mean, that, that leg could go either way because Leipzig's the type of team that could show up and play you off the pitch or they can show up and lose 3-0, so... They eliminated uh-huh. City during that COVID year, right? It was Leipzig that took Somebody them out. did, yeah. I remember Leipzig made noise one champions. Hey, they made it to the semis and lost to they lost to PSG. There we go. Yeah. So and I it, mean, who and knows? it's Champions League. So you know, yeah. Man City. They. <laughs> I would choke in Champions I would League. probably go in that order, and and if Man City makes it, I would say that the two teams I'd want to face least are Bayern and Man City. I Napoli. I, I do not want to see Napoli. That's, oh, Napoli too, man. They're on form, but here's they're my so thing. Good. Here's my thing. It's two legs, and mm. we're defending nicely. Like, can we make it past quarterfinals 100%? There are one, at least two Portuguese teams left if, if Porto can turn things around against Inter. And let me tell you something. If we face Porto or Benfica, boys, open up the third slot for the trophy because every time we beat a Portuguese team in the Champions League, we win it, baby. You give me Benfica, or you give me Porto, and we, we we win the first game by two goals. Curtains. Everyone else, I don't care what sort of run you're in, what form you're in. The vibes are back. It's Chelsea's year again because that's just how it works. We play a tough team in the craziest form in the first round. Then we play a Portuguese team in the second round that we're supposed to handle and do, and then we somehow end up in the final. Andreas, how are you finding all these patterns? I don't, I don't know. Because we've only won the Champions League twice. <laughs> but still, you're like Rain Man right now, identifying all these patterns. That's crazy. I mean, um, it's Champions League, man. There's a magic to it. There's yeah. We suck at Premier League right now, but like Chelsea Champions League, we we saw it the way the guys lined up against City and Porto. The, they just unleash a different beast. And they can get excited about it. It's the thing 
You know, if you ask players in like the 80s and 90s, they dream of the World Cup. You ask players in the 2000s, they want to win the Champions League. Like kids growing up, I feel like rate the Champions League up there, like side by side with the World Cup for nine times out of 10. Like this is the biggest stage. It's the one competition that every footballer will get excited about, regardless of ego, status, team, doesn't matter. Yeah. So I do think there's a chance. We we just have to play good defense. That's all we ever do when we win these these Champions Leagues. Like you mentioned it, Bayern is scary. I get that because they can line up in five different formations and attack you one way or another. And the fact that they can get someone like freaking Eric Chupomoting scoring is a scary prospect. City is City. Who knows? But like Madrid's not doing too hot outside, like in, in general's mm. terms. Napoli is an uncharted territories. Like they're a great form. They haven't been here before kind of thing. Like anything can happen. All you need at this point is five good games and you're the champion. Listen, like the way that you guys are discrediting Real Madrid, like the same logic will apply to us. If you're going to if you're going to completely rule out Real Madrid, you should completely rule out us. Because we've been in shit form in the league. Nobody's really something about, but there's something about Champions League. Fair. That's different. That's no, the yeah. Same exact thing with Real Madrid, even more so. It's a good point, and, and and we're not ruling them out. I'm just saying that I think you know at face value, based on what we know as of today, March the eighth, I think Man City and and Bayern are the two scariest. But to your point, Sam, um, just to kind of add to it, make your argument a little bit stronger. Look what Madrid li- did last time around against Liverpool at Anfield. They put five past them in the second half. So, mm-hmm. you know, they can, they're one of those teams. I mean, they have the Ballon d'Or winner. They have Vinicius. They have veteran midfield. And who knows what can happen? Ballon d'Or, a.k.a. Mr. Champion. They're the defending himself. They're the defending freaking champions. I mean, that yeah, can't and they've be, won it fourteen times. Yeah, they've I, won it fourteen times. I I think I have them near the top of my list. Um, but hey, we have been knocked out by City um, in the two domestic cups already this season. So I want yeah, I want maybe, revenge on them. Yeah, maybe maybe it's we're due. Um, all right, any final points uh, before we hop into the Leicester preview? No. Mm-mm. Yeah, I just want to finish off by saying we have a chance. I'm not. We're not favorites, but we have a chance. I, I, I can see it happening. We're doing it. It's I can happening. see it happening. No, Zach, you can't. Ha- you can't be confident. That's that's where they get you. What? Why not? Remember? Come on. Actually, I put yeah, my tinfoil hat a day into Tuchel getting hired and we won the Champions League. Remember, Black Emoji can back me up. He was like, I have nothing to live for. We're going to get bounced from the Champions League. Tell me there's hope. And I told him, and it came, and I'm going to stick by it, even though the league form is complete garbage. Oh, I Plus, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be just – actually, I think they changed that rule, where like when you win the Champions League, you take a domestic spot. I think they changed that. I'd be like, man, to I would laugh so hard if Liverpool gets fourth oh. after all that hard work and we somehow take that spot away from them and they have to play Europa League, kind of like what we did to Spurs back in 2012. But Yeah, they changed yeah. that. Um, all right, let's talk Leicester. Um, we play on, I think, Saturday. 
Um, am I wrong? Uh, at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Western. Okay. So I think uh, I'll be able to wake up for this one. Thank God. Um, this one's going to be at King Power Stadium. Uh, right now they're 15th in the Premier League. They were battling relegation earlier on. They've kind of gone themselves out of that relegation zone, but they've lost three in a row in the Premier League and uh, four in a row in all competitions, including a loss to Blackburn in the FA Cup, um, out of all teams. Um, but even with all this uh, being said, they've scored 12 more goals than Chelsea <laughs> so far this season, which is more of an indictment on us, if anything, but Hey, uh, any uh, any points or any uh, thing that stands out to you, Andreas, in this matchup? I mean, I think we're going to break the charity of C-Curse. Like, this is the typical game where it's like, oh, there's no way we lose and then we lose. I think the guys are, are hyped up. I think there's something to play for. I think that sort of the tide has turned in terms of like, a mediocre performance or a mediocre start to a game that can let, you know, Lester build some hope and confidence in that 90. Um, You know, am I saying we're going to win five nil? No, but I think, you know, we're not going to be outplayed. I think that we'll show up to Lester and really take it to him. I think, you know, Vardy is no longer the Vardy we have seen before where he can just outpace everyone. Iannaccio has been playing better but even he doesn't inspire me to be like, you know, I, I don't see a player right now at Leicester that scares me as an individual. Like we watch Southampton and we're like, oh, if if Worth Prowse gets a free kick, we're fucked. And sure oh, enough, he, that happens. I, like, I don't mention, I don't have that. I don't you think can, James Madison does that to me. Well, don't give James Madison a fucking free kick right outside the box. I still don't want to see him having a whack at goal. I mean, he has the ability to stick it at the top corner, but to your point, yeah, there there really is nobody that that scares me too much with this Leicester team. Um, the only thing that I can think of is that a lot of this core in the Leicester side was there in the FA Cup final. Um, so that history is definitely there. I think there'll still be bad blood between some of the players like there always is. But this should be one of those schedule wins that you look at on the schedule and say, okay, we have to take this game. There, there's There's no other option. We can't walk away with the draw and there's no world in which that's a good result. So yeah, it's just a matter of going in there and, and I guess putting them under the cosh. I mean, we've seen some of their, some of their center backs score two own goals in the same game, even. So <laughs> when the pressure rises on them, they seem to not rise to that occasion and they actually crumble. Um, so if we can put it on really early, then who knows what can happen? I mean, I think there's potential for, Another multi-goal game, guys. What a treat that would be. Wow. Yeah, and don't forget, this is also a return match for Ben Chilwell and Fofana. Both, uh, and Conte. And N'Golo Conte, right? All uh, all former uh, Leicester City Wolves. The Danny so, Drinkwater right? Derby. <laughs> More, yeah, thanks. Most famously known as, yeah. <laughs> Is that, is that what it's, its official name is now? Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So lineup predictions. Uh, I think we keep it 
consistent. We keep it the same. Like we'll see a very similar lineup from what we saw yesterday. Um, and uh, I, at least I hope so. Like Andreas said, maybe switching in Badia Shield for, for uh, Kukurea. But other than that, let's keep it consistent. I agree. I think the only other shout might be that one of our wing backs gets a rest. Yeah. I think Chilwell's been playing a lot. And then also we know that Reese has been wrapped in cotton wool as of late. So maybe he'll have another yeah. scheduled I mean, day off. Bellingham tried killing him with like two minutes left. So Yeah, and then he goes and hugs and kisses him after the game. Like, it's, it's stupid. Sorry to, to, to take us on a tangent, but what the hell is wrong with Bellingham when the match ended? He like ran at Kukurea out of like complete the complete blue and just shoved him. Like, match ends. Shithead. He was mad. Like he's big dude. mad. Yeah, he was a definition of big mad. mad. <laughs> I mean, it it all comes down to the fact that he missed a he missed a chance from five yards out. Let's like, be honest. He should have been. Buddy. He should he he should have and could have been sent off in both legs. I I so. am like I'm already like I know he's not coming to Chelsea. Like I I know that's not happening. But I can't wait for him to to join somebody else in the Premier League because this is going to be one of those like rivalries for the next decade like enzo versus jude jude versus like i can't there's gonna be so much bad blood and i i love that sort of shit like gerard versus lampard whatever like that sort of headline i i can't wait for it because he he does have that like angry side to him and and we're starting to have those players too so that just kind of excites me all right score predictions zach i'm sticking with it baby two nil I think Raheem Sterling scores again, gets another goal back-to-back matches. And the goal definitely doesn't come uh, off of his left foot, right? Because he has absolutely no left foot, it seems like. (laughs) His Um, left foot is as good as Ziyech's right. (laughs) Andreas. I am going to say 1-0. And my bold, bold, bold prediction is that Body Shield is gonna score for Chelsea off a corner. All right, so um, if Zach is gonna be consistent for um, what what's the word like superstitious reasons two uh, nil, <laughs> I guess I have to predict a one nil victory, but we lose in penalties. Is that I know that's not possible, <laughs> but that's what I predicted. In, you you just predict the score. The penalties is just a tiebreaker, right? So you, you can say one nil. We win one nil, yeah. But we lose in penalties. But I'm just saying that I know that we can't lose in penalties. Um, so so the equivalent is we win one nil, but the boys have to take a bus late because there was an accident outside of the stadium. Yeah, is that, is yeah. that the equivalent? Sure, sure. The equivalent would be a Chelsea win. That's that would be there. You the go. Um, I think that uh, wraps it up for this uh, this week's episode. We got another match, as we said, uh, on this weekend, so we'll have a recap episode uh, shortly thereafter. If you don't follow us on Twitter, make sure you do at Blues on Parade one word. Um, and after every match, we post a tweet where we ask, we solicit your questions to include on the pod, and we give you a shout-out on the podcast. So if you're trying to become famous, this is the best place to do it. Uh, Write in a question, we get your name out. Boom, (laughs) marketing right there. 
Cloud Chasing um, 101, baby. Yep. Um, and with that being said, see you guys next episode. Keep the blue flag flying high.